Friends, we're glad you're here today. I'm Dave Bianchin. I'm on the pastoral staff here. And whether you're here in the sanctuary or watching on live stream, we're delighted that we can worship in this time together this morning. Our scripture reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, and I'll be reading from verses 16 into verse 20. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, in these moments, I pray that you would open up your scripture and our hearts and bring us together at your throne and remind us of your great love for us and for others and lead us to follow you faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are wrapping up today our series on At the Movies. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been, um, I think, challenging to think about the biblical story in some of the entertainment that we watch. I do hope that the larger issue of the series for you has been to think about how when we watch something, there's a message in it and what that message is, and perhaps even in some cases to discern whether or not we ought to be watching some things at all in terms of what it does to us and for us in our relationship with Christ. And today we're going to be looking at a movie called Wonder, and I, I hope you'll see it if you haven't seen it yet. We're going to show something of it in just a moment, but it asks the question, what do you do when you're confronted with someone who is different from you? How do you regard them? How do we approach people who are different from us, whatever that difference is? Are we tended to receive them? Do we tend to reject them? What criteria do we use to think about why and how we would embrace them in a part of our lives? Now, Wonder illustrates several biblical truths around the ideas of how we're created and loved by God and how we're received by others. It's based on the true story of a young boy named Nathaniel who had what was called Treacher-Collins syndrome. It's a rare condition. And it's a genetic situation that deforms the, the bones of the face and the ears, and it makes it hard to hear. Uh, it's not um, treatable other than by surgeries. And as we find in, in the movie, there's a young boy not named Nathaniel. His name is Augie. And as we come to, to the movie itself, uh, the backstory is that he's endured several of those surgeries, I think 20-some, may, maybe 19 or 20. And his parents have loved him and they've cared for him, but as he has finished fourth grade and gets ready to go into fifth grade, they decide it's time for him to go out into the world. It's time for him to go and, and to make his way and to begin to relate to other people that he hasn't related to before. And so his parents then can help him navigate this new world in these earlier years. And so he goes off to school. He goes off to fifth grade. So I hope you'll see the movie. It's a wonderful one. It's appropriate for um, all age groups in your family, and, and it has just some great uh, lessons to it that we'll look at this morning. So Augie enters fifth grade, and the Wonder movie is the story of his entire fifth grade year from the beginning to the end. The themes, of course, are ones you would expect. Growing up, 
moving through the changes and challenges of life, especially as one who looks different from other people. It raises the issue in terms of how people treat Augie of kindness. How do we relate to people who are different from us? There are a number of subplots that work in the background, and we won't deal with those much today, but, but his sister, whose name is Via, struggles because with all of Augie's needs in their family, she feels ignored at times. She's also undergoing a change moving into high school, and her best friend, Miranda, kind of leaves her aside as Miranda is looking for more of a status in her relationships. But it all comes together wonderfully at the end, and again, I commend it to you. I put a quote on the front of your bulletin today, which really defines what I think people who are different from us tend to feel. Augie says, it's like people you see sometimes, and you can't imagine what it would be like to be that person, whether it's somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who can't talk, only I know that I'm that person to other people, maybe to every single person in that whole auditorium. I know that you and I are concerned with some of the things going on in our country right now, some of the divisions, some of the unkindness that happens, uh, some of the estrangement we're experiencing in our day and age. And wonder brings together uh, some wonderful lessons in terms of relating to people differently. And I'd like to use the passage I read from 2 Corinthians to bridge into those themes and our call as Christians to go out into the world and to be ministers of reconciliation. The first thing Paul says in this text is, we regard no one from a human point of view. We regard no one from a human point of view. So it asks the question, well, what is our point of view? What is the human point of view? How do we look upon other people? How do we regard them? How do we approach people who are different from us? I'm afraid that our world seems to be so defined by the differences that we have that we look at people and even though there might be some wonderful things that we love about them and have in common, we point out the differences nonetheless. I'm gonna give you an example that may step on some toes, but I remember times people have described to me, for example, a man who was helping to do something kind from somebody else. And they said, well, there was this black guy who did this kindness to someone else. And I thought, well, why was that important to the story? The important part of the story was this person did something kind. Whether they were a different race from me, a different political affiliation, a different socioeconomic, there's no need to define that difference that's there. The definition is, there. I saw a kind person today. They did something wonderful for someone else. And we point these out sometimes to differentiate us, and, I, and I, I honestly don't know why. I think in some cases, in our best moments, it's just an old bad habit. In some of our worst cases, of course, it's not helpful at all. But Paul says to us, from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Because of our life in Christ, there can be an attitude toward others that doesn't follow the cultural norm. Because of our relationship in Christ, we can draw from how God has created us, how God has shaped us, how God has brought us together in the world. And it has to do with all aspects of life. But again, it begins with our perspective. One of my favorite texts in Scripture is Psalm 139. And David says in that psalm about God, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. Could we begin, first of all, with a sense of how God has created us? That we are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Yeah, we know our flaws, okay? We're flawed human beings. This is all aspirational. But should we, could we know deep in our hearts that God has created us, God has impressed his image upon us, and wants us to regard ourselves in that way? And if we could do that, could we learn to regard other people in that way as well? Seeing other persons from the vantage point of God's creative power in their lives. And Paul's very urgent about this. He says, from now on, right now, beginning this very moment, we, Paul, the church in Corinth, brothers and sisters, you and me, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So we need to be in touch with what that worldly point of view is. Why is our culture leaning in certain ways in terms of differences? Why does it seem to reward some people and not others? And why do we tend to follow that at times? We can be different because we are a new creation in Christ. One of our favorite verses is chapter 5, verse 17, which I read. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We rejoice in that for our own sense of identity in Christ. But that's at the very center of what Paul is saying here. We regard no one from a human point of view any longer because we are a new creation. We don't do what the world does anymore. We regard people differently because we know Christ. And so there's a new vantage point. The movie illustrates this a couple of ways. You saw one of them where Augie's saying to his mom, I'm ugly, and she says, you're not ugly, Augie. And he says, you have to say that. You're my mom, <laughs> which I always have to laugh at. But he sa she says, because I'm your mom, it counts the most because I know you the most. Psalm 139 begins by saying, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I lie down, you know when I rise up, you see my thoughts from afar. That God who knows us tells us we're not ugly. And that God who knows us knows others and invites us to take that perspective. Later on in the movie, there is a couple who is complaining to the principal about Augie being at school that it's disrupting what has been happening in the school, and it's really about their son who's quite bigoted. And the principal says to the couple, Augie can't change the way he looks. Maybe we can change the way we see. And that's really what Paul is saying. We get caught up in appearances, we get caught up in the rights and wrongs of others, yet we know that we ourselves are not perfect, and so maybe we can learn to see people differently. Because every relational move that we make in our lives begins with the perspective of our hearts. Every way we relate to people grows out of who we are and what we think in our hearts. So how do we regard others? On the basis of appearance or age or gender or accents or clothing? Do we see underneath the surface that they might be people who are experiencing the same struggles and pains that we do? that they're very much like us and like we should be, God regards them with kindness and with love. I wanna pause for a minute and recognize that there are probably people in our sanctuary right now and on live stream who feel like Augie, that you feel like you're ugly, you feel like you're not accepted, or you're undergoing some kind of transition in your life which is very, very, very difficult. And because of that, you feel lonely. I want to remind you that that Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, not only should not perish and have everlasting life, but also should know the one true God who loves them. 
that God loves you unconditionally. And God wants you to be drawn to himself even in your imperfections as all of us bring, that God may reach out to you and show you his love. And church, body of Christ, I hope that we can be the people who represent Christ into the world by doing this because we regard people no longer from a human point of view. And we represent Christ to the people around us. Paul says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So think of the context of this book. Corinth is a Greek city. It's a trade route. It's not Jerusalem where Jesus has been known, where Jesus was crucified, where he rose from the dead, where the early church started. This is many, many, many miles away. And it's several years later, but you have to know that people in Corinth don't have the same sort of understanding and history about Jesus that people in the Hebrew-speaking parts of the world would have. So Paul is keenly aware that there is no history to draw on. There's no great gospel message that's been underlying Corinth for hundreds of years. If people are going to be drawn to Jesus, it's going to be how Christians represent Jesus to them. There was a, a catchy phrase that came out many, many years ago, decades in fact, which said, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. I thought it was kind of campy at the time, but 20, 30, 40 years later, we live in a culture where a lot of people have never opened the Bible. They don't really know who Jesus is except in an anecdotal type of way. And so our ability to represent Jesus to them, to be the body of Christ to them, becomes their introduction to Jesus. And so as we don't regard them from a human point of view but represent them to Jesus, doors open in ways that wouldn't open any other way. An ambassador, of course, is someone who represents their country to another country. And in the ancient world, it was specifically an ambassador was one who related his king's wishes to this other king and this other country. So because of this, the ambassador spoke on behalf of the king carried the same authority as the king, but never, never, ever acted out of their own perspective, never spoke out of their own priorities, never spoke out of their own needs, but represented exactly what the king wanted people to know. And so that's the word for us. We are Christ's ambassadors in the world as though God were making his appeal through us. We represent Jesus on a couple of basic levels. One is we need to communicate the content of the gospel. We need to introduce people to Jesus who lived and died and rose again and who um, has communicated his life to us and invites people to a personal and loving relationship with him. That content needs to be what we communicate. But underlying that content is how we relate to people, that we need to show God's love to them, to help them understand the character of Christ, the loving Jesus the one who, who reaches out to them even in their imperfections and says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and both need to be there because if we communicate the content of the gospel without loving people, the door will never open for them to listen to us. And if we love people without communicating Jesus, then it becomes, it's a wonderful sentimental sort of thing, but our goal is for them to know not just us, but the one who has given us new life as well. It's a challenge, I know, it's hard to do. We ask ourselves, well, how do I do this? Who do I relate to? And I think we begin with those closest to us, in our homes, our friends and our family. We know us, we, have we know them, we have credibility with them. And so we begin loving them, communicating the gospel to them. 
But Jesus talks about two other groups of people through the course of his ministry. Uh, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 15, in which Jesus tells a story in which someone who is basically shunned from Jewish society is attacked and two people have opportunity to help him. They see him clearly. The priest and the Levite watch him on the road and say, I don't think I want to be part of that. And as Jesus tells the story, the Good Samaritan comes and ministers to that person. And Jesus says, this is what it means to be a neighbor. So beyond our friends and family, I'd like us to think about who do we see in our lives that we know have needs. And the challenge then is, is to take that knowledge and to figure out how you and I can model and to show the, the love of Christ to them, the needs that we know. But Jesus also told a story toward the end of his ministry, near the very end, in Matthew chapter 25, and it's a story of judgment. It's a picture of the final judgment in which people come and, and the metaphor is that they're the sheeps and the goats. And the sheep, of course, are the good guys and the goats are the ones who are not. And so, um, and I'm not entirely sure why, but if you are good with that, let me know after the sermon. But, but in this separating of people in judgment, Jesus says to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer and notice their answer. Lord, when did we see you thirsty or hungry? and give you something? When did we see you a stranger invite you in? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus tells us there is the neighbor whose needs we see that we need to be helping. There's also many, many, many strangers in our lives that God asks us to be attentive to. And so this is, I think, a spiritual issue that we need to be praying that in the rush of our lives, in the protectiveness that we seem to have over the things that, that we have, there are people who we can reach out to and their basic needs. In this case, feeding and, and clothing and befriending and visiting, those aren't hard things. Any of us can do that. They're not inaccessible. So when we think about representing Christ to people, we want to present the content, we want to love folks. We want to minister to those close to us, those whose needs we see, and those who are introduced into our lives who perhaps we've never seen before. In the movie, Augie's not, not quite sure where he stands with a whole group of people, many groups of people most of the time. He's been affected his whole life by this appearance which causes people to back off and say, oh, gosh, and you noticed in the, tra in the trailer how the kids, when he first went to school, backed off and kind of looked at him in a strange way. That's our tendency, isn't it? So he's never quite sure where he stands with people until Jack befriends him, but then Jack betrays him. And then he's introduced to a young girl named Summer who feels different as well. And you saw her in the trailer that she also needs a friend. And she sticks with Augie. And that's the sort of thing it means to represent Christ to the people around us. So we regard people differently. We're given 
the opportunity to represent Jesus in the world, and finally, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. And that's really the, the greater purpose of all this, to represent Christ to the world in such a way that they can experience the love and joy and peace that we experience as well. And it's not just something we're called to do. This represents the very heart of our Savior, Jesus who, who walked among people who were poor and dispossessed and cast out, who befriended them and drew him into his fellowship and loved them and introduced himself to them. That's his heart. And he's committed that ministry to us as well. And with all of the benefits of salvation that we have, and they're wonderful, part of it also means to move into the world and befriend people in Jesus' name as well. So are we committed enough to engage in this ministry? It's so important. Jesus said it's important enough that even when we're in a time of worship, that we should kind of take a break if we know somebody is, has something against us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come back and offer your gift. So it's important. It's important for our hearts. It's important as we express God's heart to others. Now, what's reconciliation? It's a big word. It just means to make things right with other people. It means to become in a right relationship with God and experience the love of Christ in our lives. It means to, to be there with other people, to be kind and at peace with them and at harmony. And I think it also means to, to draw on that sense of wholeness for our own lives, that because we've been reconciled to God, we can reach out to other people and share this wholeness and this peace that God has given to us. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's being in the right place in harmony with God and others. Now, what, how do we do this? I mean, the first part, of course, is our attitude to regarding people in such a way that we can reach out and to move into their lives, to look out for the stranger and the neighbor, to be open to those around you. But it's also in some ways like Jesus' words to the sheep and the goats. It's as simple as listening to people. We don't do that well in our society anymore to really sit down and go through a whole issue with one another, to listen, to be kind, to stand up for the weak, to forgive people no matter what they've done to us. And this is really where the movie shines, uh, this sense of, of reconciliation. The early part of the movie is about fear and estrangement and judgment and rejection, about the hostility of the world. But as the movie goes on, circumstances and relationships begin to come together. Augie is reconciled with Jack, and later on he's reconciled with these young boys who had rejected him. His sister Via is reconciled with her, with her friend Miranda and with her parents. And there are two scenes near and at the end of the movie that, that put this together in a really wonderful way. Near the end of the movie, all the kids have gone to camp. It's this wonderful um, wilderness sort of camp. They're in the forested area with a big, big lake they're able to, to canoe and to kayak on. And Augie and Jack get bored with the movie they're showing in the evening, so they go off by themselves. And as they're off in an isolated place, these older boys from a different school, they come after them. And they, you saw some of that in the trailer as well. They ridicule Augie, they go after them, they push Jack down and he hurts himself. And then all of a sudden, these boys that had been Augie's adversaries through most of the movie show up and they defend him. And they, they get out of this 
predicament and they, they all run away together to this scene by the lake. And they're all there with one another, arms around each other and good things are happening. And Augie walks away from the group and he goes to the shore of the lake. And the boys are like, what's, what's he doing? And they follow him up and the camera pans to face them all and Augie's in tears. And he's in tears of joy because he's now been accepted. He's now one of the gang. He's been reconciled. They've shown him their love for him. And friends, if you've ever felt rejected, you know how important this is. And it's just a beautiful scene of people coming together. And then the last scene, you probably hear this, see this coming. They're at the award ceremony. They're giving the Henry Ward Beecher Award to the notable student. And the principal says this quote from Beecher. He says, greatness lies not in being strong, but in the right use of strength. He is the greatest whose strength carries up the most hearts. And Augie receives the award and everybody cries and the movie's over. It's good. I cried. I'll just tell you. It was great. <laughs> so as we think about what it means in our lives to, to navigate relationships, Beecher's quote is important. Greatness lies not in being strong, but in the right use of strength. Jesus had something to say about greatness in Matthew chapter 18. He said, or rather this is the scene, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to them and placed his, the child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You and I have resources, we have strengths, we have influence in our lives. We have opportunity to, to influence circumstances and people around us. And you and I will meet people even today that we don't expect to meet. Yes, we'll see our friends, we'll see our family, we might see our neighbors, but there will be strangers in our midst as well. How will we regard them? How will we represent Jesus to them? How will we welcome both the stranger and the neighbor into our lives? I'd like to close and ask you to pray with me. Um, I'll lead the prayer, but these words, first of all, from Psalm 17. Let's pray together. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me, Lord, the wonders of your great love. Show us, Lord, the wonders of your great love. And as we receive those wonders in our life, Lord, may we have regard for people through your eyes. May we represent them to you with your loving kindness and the truth of your gospel. May we be ministers of reconciliation, bringing kindness into the relationships around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.